change can't come from just ear ear and mm. sitting in a corner and then telling your you know your fellow colleague like oh man like they shouldn't be doing that to us mm. whereas if you respectfully just ask you know oh why why can't i do this your manager you know will be like oh you know this guy actually cares about their job or cares about what they're doing G'day and welcome to the Look Sharp Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Loselina Hopoi. She's currently a policy analyst for the New Zealand government, uh, has a BA in Education and Pacific Studies, and has also represented the Wellington Women's Tongan team, wrapping that MMT. Please enjoy. I guess, how's your day been? What's been happening? I'm uh, pretty crazy. I've got my last COVID shot. <laughs> I know, you know, they're trying to push it onto everyone, so got that and, um, yeah, just family, church fundraising stuff. Oh, nice. What's, uh, what's life in New Zealand like, I guess, with the whole COVID over the last, you know, 12, 18 months for you guys? Um, I guess where we live in Wellington, it's all right, but in Auckland, like, it's pretty crazy, and then you have, like, the real extreme people who are opposed to, you know getting um COVID vaccines and stuff like that and then you just have people that all just go and do it like <laughs> just you know um but then we also have the government trying to push it upon communities by offering like NGOs with money and things so we have like in Auckland they were giving out hundred dollar vouchers like supermarket vouchers which had a lot of people like just queue up to one of the Tongan churches there and they did it here as well but not many people because we don't have as much de- um islanders there isn't a big demand so instead of like a voucher per person it was more like a you get your name put in a drawer kind of thing oh okay yeah and how, how was it for you guys with things shut down was it was it tough having all the takeaways closed or was it all right for you guys or i think with my family my mom is a great cook so yeah. we don't really eat out much so we weren't affected by that but um i think just seeing other people within the church or you know family friends and things like that things like that that made it a bit tough but um with my immediate family we're real we'll pretty much live on the same street so <laughs> we're able to have one bubble yeah yeah, yeah. okay nice um all right well how about we we go from the start um if you just want to i guess tell us a little about yourself on you know where you grew up in the early days some of your earliest memories uh yes yeah, so my name is losaline hopoi um i've still living born raised still living in pomare in wellington um so i went to um, all the local schools grew up in a family of six kids with my parents and a real tight-knit family as well we've got all my dad's family living in pretty much the same suburb so we always had, I think every weekend, every day, we're always surrounded by family members. And, you know, um, from the churches, we, we, yeah, pretty much learned how to speak, read and write in Tongan. And then um, at church, so my um, parents are really strict on, as soon as you leave the school gates, you spoke Tongan. And, you know, once you leave the letterbox, that's when you speak English. And um, I think that's, we're lucky in a way. Like, back then, you know, as a kid, we're like, ah, you know, punishment, having to speak Tongan and stuff. But then we appreciate it more 
now that we're older that we can have conversations with our elders because of that if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. i um man that's so good that they did that um and you're able to be blessed for uh, for now i know so many people uh, in australia um and me and my brother are probably you know a perfect example both my parents came from tonga um and you know we were born and raised in australia but majority of the time we spoke english um at mm. home and it wasn't you know it was only like the little words like kafu and you know your blankets oh, yeah, and your yeah. tapuni matapa or like close the doors all that kind of stuff that was the only um like tongan words that we had like all the little words so when we grew yeah. up like we saw the uncles and aunties and they'll speak to us but we didn't have that the same connection um so for you to be able to grow up with that um and have that appreciation you know that's that's awesome is that something that you're trying to instill with some of your younger family members as well yeah and i guess that like because i'm the second eldest i'm like really conscious about the things i do and say because of the you know the younger ones in my family and especially like being a youth leader as well but um i can see we like you know we come from like most of like my other cousins they don't really speak tongan but because our families came you know went overseas for the better opportunities like education and work where the English language is a currency, mm. you know, another form of it, and it's a way that we were able to survive compared to our parents struggling, um, just being more fluent in one language. It's awesome that you say it's a currency because it's it's very much that yeah they come from the islands, they come to New Zealand or Australia, and they're like okay go mm. to school, get a good education, do all these sorts of things, um, but sometimes the the language and then following that sometimes the, the culture gets lost so the fact that your family was able to keep that um is something that's that's really special do you think it was um you know your your family in particular or was it like with your church or was it with your you know your area um in wellington that you guys were living in i think it, um more of because we're just tonga you know church of tonga mm. so everything in at our churches like our bible terms are all in tongan um everyone speaks in tongan you know services are done in Tongan so in order for us to be able to fit into that community um, we had to speak Tongan and at our church you know we learnt um, everything we do in Sunday school you're writing in Tongan um, you learn how to do formal speeches so you know it's kind of like school but in the Tongan language and that's why you know when we came home our parents will um, push us to speak Tongan because then we go to church, it's kind of like easier to communicate with, um, you know, ministers and stuff speaking formally. You know, how Tongans have like different languages. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, standing up and doing a speech, we can actually like, you know, start from the start, whakatapu and all that. Okay, awesome. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned uh, you've got younger siblings. So you being the second eldest, um, how did that affect you growing up? Do you think uh, it was easier having someone older than you or um, did you have certain roles and responsibilities in your family? Um, definitely easier having someone older. <laughs> Just that <laughs> all the pressure was on um, my elder sister to lead and all everything um, you know we did growing up, she had a lot of pressure on her. Um, but um, I didn't have as much pressure, but I had... Because my sister and I are a year apart, it was kind of on, you know, spread upon both of us to 
um, be good role models for the younger siblings in our family and you know make sure that they're in line you know when our parents are working their numerous I don't know countless two jobs each or whatever so we're kind of like babysitters slash assistant parents <laughs> yeah. yeah so you know you mentioned with your parents um you know working so much um what was the the encouragement or what were some of the the things that they said for you in relation to study i know you're someone um that has you know definitely done quite a bit of study um i guess how was it growing up with your parents and what was their views in relation to i guess study and furthering your education yeah um so our parents are definitely strict on school um we had to do really well like coming back if we wanted to play sport we had to um perform as well in the classroom so if we got back our school report and i don't know you know we're lacking in one area there was a we're pulled out and um had to come back the next season so and our parents always said you know look at us do you want to work you know 12 hour shifts Mm. or stuff like that um you know stick to it because the time you have in school is only you know you're only in school for a few years and the rest of that is um working so um they made school sound like the fun part of life for us <laughs> so yeah um in a way that was really good because it made us make the most of you know school getting um involved in all the stuff in like the classroom trying to be like a class rep or trying to represent um you know the academic side of school and our parents always say you know like try to get in there if you know one brown kid gets in oh you know why can how come she can do it and you know you can't like do you even speak english or whatever so yeah, yeah it, it's funny how sometimes i like hey look at that kid how come you're not like him hey look at that person yeah Whoa, look at there's a lot of um <laughs> comparing i guess and that my parents mindset back then like you know how come and i guess i used to always think you know oh, whatever you like used to think um they're punishing us by comparing us to different kids but now i'm older I kind of like think that they had more faith in us than we did ourselves. Yeah, and to it, push us. Yeah, it was more of a, a form of encouragement as opposed to a put down. Mm. Um, yeah. and like you said, it's not only, it's not until you get a little bit older you're like, you know what? I think my dad was actually trying to help me than push me, mm. uh, like yeah. put me down. Um, okay, awesome. What well, what was uh, going to New Zealand uh, to school in the early days like? Were, were there many islanders? Was um, you know, were you able to keep that influence or did, what was your circle of friends like, all that kind of stuff with school? What was that like for you? Um, I guess we're lucky because we grew up in a Moulding Pacific dominated area. So we were surrounded by um, kids that looked like us from kindy all the way to college. Um, you know, there was always a poly club, we were always singing um, Pacific Island songs, learning different languages. So um, in a way, um, compared to later when I went into university, I found my, you know, I felt like I was lucky compared to people who went to private schools and stuff because I still had, um, I guess, that part of my identity with me. You know, like sometimes you feel disconnected from your own community if you're not seeing people that look like yourself or your family. Mm. Okay. Um, And as you got older... Um, I know that you furthered your education into Pacific Studies. Yeah. What was, yeah. Uh, I guess, what, what drove that up? 
I mean, you're a Pacific Islander, um, but there could have been yeah. so many other different avenues that you uh, could have taken. Uh, what were some of the, the driving factors for you um, for Pacific Studies? Uh, originally, I enrolled into political science and education. So that okay. were, those are my um, interests going into university. And then, um, like, during the way, like, I didn't, wasn't really interested in political studies, which is interesting because I actually work in it right now. <laughs> and then, like, yeah. But then, I guess, going into university, they try to um, encourage students to, you know, um, exercise that um, your right to freedom of speech and I just saw like um, all the chancellors of the university I was at they have a wall full of all their photos from the first chancellor which is like the principal of the school to the end and all you see is just like white men with white hair from like start to end and thought that um, it just made me think about the my community and trying to represent them more or you know bringing our voices to um the academic world more it, although like a lot of people came before me but um i think i was more interested in doing that for our people and i went into pacific studies and ended up changing into um studying pacific studies as well alongside education oh awesome um yeah. are there any pacific uh like specific areas or um anything i guess stand out for you with your recent studies uh, uh, with you know Pacific studies yeah I guess in Pacific studies is I learned so much that happened to Pacific people in New Zealand that we aren't um, told about it in schools you know so we went through I went through my whole schooling not knowing about the history that happened to our people including my own family that um, I thought it was just a normal thing you know like overstayers but we had the dawn raid era that my grandparents were affected from important is learning about um what the pacific people went through because of the new zealand government that makes sense yeah yeah it does yeah and um Mm. for me it's it's quite refreshing um to hear your story but then also um in australia it's the same um there's not Mm. really much about the indigenous people um and also you know when i when me and my brother like the first time we came to new zealand we were what 14 15 um, and we went to one of the Pacificas, um, and then we went to Polyfest. And that was the first time we actually saw, like, the real Kailau, um, you know, people were mm. doing the sauke, like, all of that stuff. We could really feel, you know, oh, this is... And we, we really felt attached to it. Um, where in Australia, you know, we don't get any... We didn't know anything about the Dawn Raids. The only thing we knew about the Dawn Raids was the, the music group that came out. Um, label, and it's yeah. only quite, you know, you know, in the last couple of years um, that it's been filtered through. But I think that is really important. It's a massive part um, that you've played. Mm. Um, and was that like the, the driving force with your, your parents going through a lot of the Dawn Raid stuff to, to put you through these studies? And um, if so, um, did they share it with you or? Um, my parents didn't really share anything. Like I just found out when, you know, got into school and people are like, oh, you know, the, we'll have an assignment or an essay on something. And then, you know, the more I, um, the longer I stayed in the class, I started actually thinking, no, you, you know, I'm actually personally affected by this. Wow. You know, my family was impacted. Um, but then, you know, in schools, you don't learn about this. And um, it made me think about, you know, how so many, so many kids just 
fall through the cracks in society because we don't address the actual real issue. Yeah, so that's um, that was a driving force of me going into it, especially with um, my grandparents because they were the ones affected by it the most. Yeah, um, and I think for also ourselves, um, and you know, I share experience um, with our father. Like he doesn't say much, um, mm. our father, and it's our mum that says a lot more. Um, yeah. But we feel, you know, there's a lot of things that he wants to say to us, um, but he he, he won't. Um, and you know, whether that's um, Polynesian culture or just his personality. Um, but I feel like if if I knew a lot more about where he came from, I'd be more grateful for what I have. Um, mm. And so, but I know a lot of the, the things, and like you say, like it, it's only the people that um, are able to or are, are able to study um, and, you know, go to university. Um, and, and that's the reason why, you know, our parents pushed us towards that, um, that they're able to share their stories. Um, because mm. I find a lot of the, you know, a lot of our uncles, you can see like the, the scars that they have or, you know, there was a reason why he left for five years and came back or there was a reason why they came from Tonga, then they went to New Zealand and they went to Australia. Like there's so many stories, but we don't really hear about it. Yeah. Um, and so in, you know, the, the work that you do, um, is there that where you can kind of like tell our stories through um, what you're doing or is it more policy based? Um, I guess not really in the work I do, like my BAU, mm. but on the side um, to lift, um, you know, the cultural capabilities of mm. our branch that I'm in. We do stuff outside of our BAU. So we like run workshops and um, we're starting with we're making it into a journey. So, you know, this is Pacific people. Um, this is why we came into New Zealand because, you know, the New Zealand economy was failing. They actually wanted us. And it's, I guess it's just surprising to me that we have to do this. Is it, that we, we have to, at a um, professional level where people have been in the public sector for decades, we had to come and educate them about stuff that was happening while they were born or, you know, while they were in school, things that they were blind to and how much it has impacted Pacific people and just how resilient resilient we are. Um, yeah. You know, up here it's just how brave you have to be to leave a country to come to, un, you know, go somewhere else that you can't even say hello or whatever. Mm. So And mm. make two fi- 250 an hour and think that that's normal. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, yeah, so for the, I guess for our listeners that, um, you know, aren't of uh, Pacific background or for, for those that don't have an understanding of the Dawn Raids, are you able to just give us a bit of a, a snapshot um, of what the Dawn Raids was? Uh, the Dawn Raids happened around the 70s in New Zealand. So um, the Dawn Raid era hit when um, the New Zealand government went out into the Pacific pretty much just um advertising and promoting you know that they needed um laborers because the economy went down and new zealanders weren't wanting to do such jobs as farming or you know working in factories and stuff so they went out to the pacific and offered um visa um, free visas so you could just come without um, applying for visa and you'll make two dollars fifty um an hour and whatever so um, we had this influx of islanders that came and after a while uh, islanders were you know living in parts where more of us keep coming because you know if one goes 
you're, you're definitely going to bring the whole village here. Oh, 100%. Because that's a, you know, um, a window of opportunity for us. So because of the influx, we we're taking those jobs and New Zealanders were started um, to complain about it. So then the dawn raids happened and they made up this new law that they are going to raid houses before dawn and pull out all the overstays and take them back. But the thing that was, um, I guess the sad thing about it was that Pacific Islanders only made up 30% of overstayers. Now the most overstayers we had were from Europe and um, America. But because oh. racism was so normal back then that no, we're gonna, um, the Pacific Islanders were a scapegoat for mm. the New Zealand government's plan failing, that we're just gonna pick on this one group that won't um, stick up for themselves or you know, won't, um, go against the authorities because that's, I guess, it's in our nature as Pacific people. Mm, we're just definitely. so res respectful and um, mm. kind of don't argue back, mm. if that makes sense. Like yeah, does, looking at my does. parents, if they were told, if they went to a shop and the shop was like, oh no, we don't sell that, but they had it out back. Mm. They'll just nod and be like, oh, okay, and go somewhere else. We're compared to, I guess, our generation. We'll be like, oh, can you go check out back? Or do you have another shop? That sells it. So yeah, that's pretty much the dawn raids, and um, it went on for against I guess I get until the nineties, when the Panthers um, were just fighting and a huge public outcry about the um, injustices happening that the um, government backed down and started offering residency to the uh, overstayers that were still here that came through that scheme yeah, yeah. definitely and uh, wow so i didn't realize that until like i watched the youtube um video there was like the kakanik tv um, oh, and it yes, had like the yeah. whole breakdown of the panthers and how that kind of um you know was kind of relevant um, and i just didn't know like how impactful that is to our polynesian culture um and you know how we respect people so much in the aspect that we'd oh, okay we'll just go back home or okay we'll just get paid 350 um mm. and so for for the workshops at you which it sounds amazing is, is there places people can go um or is there resources that you know that um the people can go to um that are listening to this podcast and if not um, that's fine we can um yeah. add it in later but is it um so we partnered up with the ministry of pacific peoples in new zealand so they've already created um, heaps of um, tools and resources for um, I guess pretty much just educating and training staff on how to engage and interact with Pacific people because you know working in policy and um, for the government you want to build that trust Definitely. with Pacific people and if you're just going in and you're you know going into a someone someone community and you're saying malo lele they're definitely just going to be like, yeah, well. <laughs> See you later, um, mate. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, it's all the really simple things that, yeah. um, I guess in a way, you know, the more we do these workshops, I'm just like, you know, we should get paid for this. In another way, I'm, you know, we're doing this on top of our BAU. Yeah. Like, it's kind of, it's like, still happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that like makes sense. Yeah. yeah, no, it does. And you're like, you're repairing um, a lot of the things that we're missing um, at the moment. So uh, definitely, um, you know, uh, after this, we'll get the links um, yeah, or but, for whatever, yeah. you know, stuff that we can add on. Uh, because it is really important because I feel that sometimes I'm, I'm broken myself that, you know, I don't know how to speak Tongan. Um, and, you know, I look Tongan. Like, I can't change this face. This is my face. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, 
what where do I go from here? Because you know, sometimes I'll go to you know um, to, to a funeral or I'll go to a birthday, and I feel shy to kind of go up to my own people and have a chat. Um, because mm. then they'll be like, you know, oh, speak to- they'll speak Tongan, right? And then once I speak English, they're like, oh, well, I can't really connect in that way. So, you know, I, I think that's really important, those workshops, to kind of make people like me feel like I can be connected once again because I really feel disconnected sometimes. And then w- when I'm with my Balangi mates or sorry, with my, um, my Aussie mates, um, you know, there is still that disconnection. You're not real fully Aussie your brown Aussie it's it's kind of mm. that way so you know I think that the work you're doing is amazing like that's definitely something that you know can help and repair people and definitely in my circumstance in my brother's circumstances where you know your parents have come to a new country um, and now they want the best for you um, and for our parents they saw that you know they had to speak English to us, so then we, um, so they're learning English, but then also us to kind of keep in school, um, and they, mm. they didn't really want us to go towards um, too much of the Tongan stuff, and you know that that might be through other things which we we don't know about, um, but I think it's definitely really important for the things that you're doing with this repairing, um, and and really acknowledging that there is something missing, um, especially for people that have come over from another country to a new country and then not being assimilated. So, yeah, that's amazing. Mm. Thank you for that. And that's how we, uh, for us as Pacific Islanders, it's a strength and a weakness, yeah? Where our respect mm. that we have for, for people, um, we're able to, you know, see their their side of things and we're able to understand what their, um, what their point is. But sometimes we are so, uh, you know, respectful or we're, we're so, um, I don't know how to put it, but we, we don't push, you know? Um, and mm. we're not willing to um, to say no, that's not right, or hey, you know, this is fair for everybody. This is what you know you should be able to do for yeah. me, just because you're doing it for everybody else. Um, yeah. How do you feel that we can kind of change that uh, without trying to be like a high head or trying to be a show off? You know, in that Polynesian culture yeah. that we talk about. Um, I guess because it still happens now. You know, mm. when I go with my parents somewhere mm. and. Um, a balang will be on the other side of the counter like oh no oh why you know and mm. I and once I question it my dad's like tukuya, you know don't do that they said no and I'll be like no you have a right you know I say it to them all the time no you have a right you can ask it's their job to help um, instead of you know me sounding fear boto because my mm. dad will be like tukua fear boto you know stop being a know, know-it-all <laughs> but yeah, that's what I try and encourage and, you know, push to people and especially our youth. You know, when you go out, always question, yeah. always question things, be be curious. Um, and at the same time, appreciate that um, you are different. You know, we you're unique as a Pacific Islander, especially as a Tongan um, in a community. You have a part to play because, you know, a lot of the youth think that, oh, you know, at church we can do this, you know speaking Tongan, we do all mm. this Tongan stuff and they think and then when it's time to go and apply for a job, they kind of don't they aren't confident mm. in um, no, fitting definitely. the job description and they kind of yep. forget that the skills that they um, learn from, you know, leading a youth or organising stuff are transferable into, you know, um, applying for a job or whatever. Yeah, so I think, yeah, because, yeah. recapping that you can question things and you can ask questions and still be respectful. 
you know mm. it's not about you know just taking whatever someone says just because they're in a certain role or they're um a certain type of person um and that's something that you know myself moss and also my brother have learned um as managers in our own rights that people will respect you more as long as you know what you're talking about you can't just bluff your way through mm. but if you know what you're talking about and you question what it is and you do it respectfully people will respect you twice as much than the person that kind of just says ew, ew, and sit in the corner you know what i mean mm. yeah mm. yeah and especially like you change can't come from just ear ear and mm. sitting in a corner and then telling your you know your fellow colleague like oh man like they shouldn't be doing that to us mm. whereas if you respectfully just ask you know oh why why can't i do this your manager, you know, will be like, oh, you know, this guy actually cares about their job or cares about what they're doing to find another way of, you know, that's easier for them to understand. Hmm. And, and yeah, I think it's very important. And um, Peter won't say it, but um, he's, a, he's a bishop um, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and so he's transferred, and like you said, um, he's transferred like a lot of the things that he do, does at, at his church um, into the role that he does now as a manager. Um, and I think that's so important. Like, if you think about all of the Polynesians that, you know, when they speak in front of people, how confident they are in, you know, in, in, ch- in church or lotto. They're so confident. But then when they come up to, you know, trying to do a resume or trying to talk to somebody in an interview, it's not the same. And, um, mm. you know, it's, it's definitely something that they need to kind of, or we need. Like, sometimes, um, even with my, my kids, um, you know, if they don't speak up, I'm kind of like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. But if there is something wrong, we really need to speak out and talk about it. Mm. Um, and, and moving further to that, like, you've done so much. So you've, you know, you've, you've gone through school, um, worked so many jobs uh, in between. Um, you know, you've gone into to university and we'll get more to your university and your, your degree. Um, and then after that, um, you know, was it after you played rugby or was it before you played rugby? That you, I was it played during? rugby after university. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, cool. And how was that, representing the, the big red flag and um, uh, putting on the jersey? And well, what, yeah. what, what was the, you know, why? Well, I guess, like, we're all the same. Like, you know, growing up outside of Tonga, yeah, even me. I say Tonga instead of Tonga. That's what Tonga. You try and like you know fit into um, your community here. Like you know, I went to school that had a ton of Pacific people, and I try to fit into you know all the like Samoans or whatever people around me were the only Tongans yeah. at our school. So um, I kind of just didn't appreciate being Tongan as much, and especially coming from mm. you know South Tonga. I was like, oh, you know, I want to be a bit different than everyone there <laughs> at my church. And then, you know, as as I went through, um, you know, school and then got up to uni, mm. like, you know, I started being more proud of who I was. You know, wow. actually being Tongan, you know, is, it makes you different. It's a unique thing. Like, people don't know about um, doing, I don't know, um, why you wear Tawala. You know, we're the mm. only people that wear Tawala. Oh, people don't know why this and that about being Tongan and mm. it made me I guess it's just that pride started instilling that pride into me until I left and I was like you know what I want to represent Tonga and stuff I want to you know represent oh, Tonga and, and like and government or whatever and yeah, then I guess yeah. the rugby was the first thing I got into <laughs> and then we ended up just yeah going crazy with all Tongan stuff yeah and so 
was that always like a, a, a dream for you to, to play for Tonga or it just <laughs> came naturally? <laughs> <laughs> um, and initially my dream is like, I've always been like so career focused. That I was yeah. like, oh, you know, one day I want to work and um, represent Tonga and you know, whatever field. Because yeah. as I said before, I was like interested in like politics, civil rights and stuff mm. and um, education, you know, teaching people. Yeah. But um, representing Tonga, yeah, loose you know, on the field. I'll just jump at it when I was offered. Yeah. <laughs> so can you, I guess, tell us some of your, your highlights of your, you know, your career, <laughs> you know, playing for Tonga? Um, it was, so it's the Wellington Tongans that I played for. Yep. Um, so start off a playing club. Um, then we had a rugby league team because it, it was actually really start, um, hard to start off playing because Tongan girls don't really play rugby, mm. as you yep. all know. Um, it was my younger sister. She's the one that played for Tonga. She's played for mm. Tonga as well. So and she's been playing rugby um, secretly, her and my older sister, during school. So they were playing, you know, secretly <laughs> behind my dad's back, lying that they were playing netball, but really they are like, you know, running on the field getting tries um, while he was just at home <laughs> saving for work. And then I got into it um, after school, after school, and I was just, um, I guess, playing with people that understood the same language as oh, you, nice, yeah. and then you had much more pride in the colour you wore because of the people that, you know, it just meant more. <laughs> I think instead of just playing for, you know, a normal club, which we did on the side, but um, being able to see your own people on the sidelines, like your families or people that look like you next to you as well, playing on the field just as hard um, was really rewarding for the time I played for, you know, Wellington Tongans. And I guess, how did your, your parents feel about it? I remember, you know, growing up, I was always, you know, one of the bigger kids. I, I knew that I could play football really well. Um, me and my brother, we, um, we started playing league just for, you know, normal club, uh, the clubs, uh, rugby. But, yeah. you know, our parents were always like, oh, you know, you might get hurt, you know, before we started playing. Did your parents, how did your parents feel about you and your sister playing? Um, they were the same at first, but I guess, like, because we did all the other stuff to already show you know, like, oh you know we'll go to school like we'll show you just you know <laughs> give us this one thing and then um i guess i don't think we'll be good at it like this is like my dad will you probably like, oh, you go play you're like break, she'll probably break a league and then they'll be done but then you know we ended up um playing for representing wellington and then yeah. we started representing you know um the wellington tongans and um they got more supportive in that way and we created you know the wellington tongan rugby club um as oh, well really? my dad was yeah so we wellington tongan women's um so rugby union and then you know we went from starting as just me and my sister to um having a team of like over 50 girls so it was rugby union but we got into like rugby league nines and we won the trophy there we we're like oh okay cool we can play rugby league too so we'll go play rugby league and then another tournament tournament will um open and they'll ask you know can we go and play so we're just playing union and league just representing tonga because of that yeah that's crazy it's it's changed the mindset the mindset and the culture yeah where mm. everybody's like all right no no um you know tongans only do this girls only do this where you're like you yeah. know what we can make it good and we can be good at what we do and we can compete you know at a high level 
um, against anybody out there. Yeah. Which is awesome. And I guess because my dad's like, um, he grew up in a family of nine boys and one girl. And he probably, you know, saw how um, <laughs> it was Strong. so strict for his sister doing anything. And he had to, because they're a year apart, um, be with her wherever she went, you know, as a bodyguard. Mm. So when we were growing up, he had four girls and two boys. And he always pushed the girls more, you know, to be independent. Like, oh, you can do that. You know. Oh, wow. Have all the girls come help me do waka or whatever that we didn't like. But, you know, <laughs> he'll take us to the, take my sisters to the farm or um, where they're kumala and stuff like that. So he already pushed us to be able to, um, I guess, do both roles. No, you're making me hungry, Losa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got Hossie today, so oh, <laughs> if you guys mate. are close. <laughs> oh, Losa, why? <laughs> <laughs> Wish we were next to you. Um, so, yeah, we spoke about it and I said I was going to get back to it. So going into high school um, or the end of high school um, and, and moving into to university, but you had a couple of hurdles that you had to come or, or go through um, with your mother and your father. Um, do you want to explain a bit about that and then how that helped you go towards university? Yep, I guess. Um, so my sister and I started working 14, 15, um, you know, in a, at BK to help. Um, provide for our family wow. yeah so I guess it in a way it just made us you know stronger if we mm. can you know stick it out we started you know we had fun because we were so young yeah. making so much money um, <laughs> but then it just made us you know I guess um, be more appreciative of education you know being able mm. to um, have a chance to go to school and push us more harder because I was like, you know, um, I'm only working four hours a day at Burger King, but I don't want to do this forever, like after school. like yeah, and, and, you know, just talking with my parents and um, other people were like, oh, yeah, we're definitely going to stick it in in school because we don't want to, we actually can't uh, work 12 hours doing stuff like that. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it just made me stronger going throughout uni and stuff like that compared to other kids were like, oh, no, nah, you know, we're going to, wag school or whatever class and I was like nah we don't actually have the option to <laughs> do that yeah. do, you, do you feel like yeah. it's a, a trap that sometimes um, families fall into into New Zealand where um, the younger kids have to work support the family and kind of get stuck in a job mm. you ever feel like yeah. that yeah um, you know my parents say that all the time they they don't want us to go and work um, when my mum came sick, but we're like, you know, there's actually no other option for us with so many kids. So, mm. you know, they let us go and work. But um, looking at my younger siblings, when they um, came up to the same age and wanted to start making money, my parents are like, nah, you know, you have to go work because oh, you have to go to school. Because once you start making money, you know, as a young kid, you're going to like it. You're, mm. And then, you know, think about, oh, you know, if I... You can't, yeah, and then you do get stuck because you get to an age like, oh, my friends are working now. Mm. I'm kind of, I'm too old. I'm only 21, but you feel like you're too old and you're going to be, you know, the old student. And if you go to school, the money's going to go down. You won't have much food, you know, for the family to eat. Yeah, so, yeah. so then you've made that sacrifice and it's, um, I think it's counterintuitive. Yeah? You, you have to sacrifice something mm. that's small um, for something that's a lot better in the future. Um, and, you know, for yourself, you've done really well. 
Um, and you're currently working as a policy analyst, I believe? Yeah. So tell us a little yep. bit about your role and did your studies contribute to that or is that something that you kind of just applied for and got? Um, I guess my studies in a way, but I've been working in, um, for this organisation for five years and kind of just built my way to where I am now. Um, mm. So for, I'm a, currently a policy analyst in the ministerial services team. So the organisation I work for, we cater for five different portfolios. So we have five different ministers and all the leaders, you know, from normal New Zealanders that go to those ministers, we answer on behalf of the minister. Uh, we also prepare advice for the minister. So if they're um, going to a press conference or um, anything, going to meet with stakeholders, we prepare all the advice for the minister um, to cater um, to what the stakeholder will want to talk about or whatever. So mm. we just make sure that everything that goes to the minister um, won't stuff it up for our organisation, if that makes sense, or for the New Zealand government. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, as I said before, I started off as a uh, working at the front counter of our organisation. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so we New Zealanders are going to apply for passports, citizenship, whatever, <laughs> we're the first people you see. So oh, um, nice. yeah, I started off there and I was there for just under a year. And then I started um, as a marriage registrar. So I was performing oh. marriages, <laughs> real <laughs> random stuff. I was performing um, marriages there and then we ended up, the government trying to move online while I was performing with the marriages that um, we had kiosk made. I don't know if you guys have that as well so instead of trying to that's when they're trying to get rid of people working and serving when oh. um, customers are trying to apply so we just had computers put up and if customers came through the door you'll try to push them to apply online do it themselves ah, yes yes yeah yes. so when yeah. our organization started um, bringing those in mm. I I started traveling for work teaching other officers how to use a computer <laughs> so that became my other job for six months, just um, flying around to our different offices and teaching staff how to do that. And then I became a um, citizenship ceremonies coordinator. Wow. Um, that that is real Oh, sorry. No, keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, real random jobs um, I've been doing, but it's always been, I guess, customer focused. So I worked on a team of three organising ceremony citizenship ceremonies for the whole of New Zealand and if they happened offshore as well yeah so I was wow. there for two years and then after COVID I applied for a new role as a policy analyst oh yeah. just a policy analyst you can oh, I'll, I'll just apply for one <laughs> <That's> <laughs> again man I've said amazing 50 times in this podcast but it's, it's true like you know the things that you've done um, have just been amazing and just one question right um, so so dealing with you know passports and then dealing with the marriages um, did you have to like marry some of your cousins and yeah. um, some of your family or your passports and hey uh, Rosa do you uh, give me free passports do you really love my cousin what? or not <laughs> tell me the truth <laughs> well that was the motivation of me getting out of the counter where I was because you know people at church will be like oh you know, um, with form wouldn't get passport there, I'm like, oh, damn, like, oh, like, you have your visa? But yeah, I had to do a lot of, a lot of that and it just motivated me to get out. And um, real funny, once um, I was performing marriages and my cousin didn't know I 
So I think him and his family planned it, and it was kind of like a secret wedding. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> One no. of the gunshot weddings, and he came into the office, and I saw his name, and I was like, oh, no, I'm just going to surprise him. And then I was like, you know, just tell them to go into um, a little chapel that's set up, and then the registrar will be in there um, soon. So they walked in, and they were waiting, and they walked in, I was like, malo da lava, and he turned around, and he's like, oh, no. Nah. <laughs> um, this is my friend. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, jeez, but that was... I guess the only highlight of that job. What yeah, I want to know is, family. what I want to know is, yeah. when you entered in that <laughs> marriage realm, I want to know if the divorce rate went up. That's what I want to know. <laughs> 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 and that's a very uh, special welcome to uh, Monsters with John. <laughs> yeah. Always has to be that one person. <laughs> <laughs> That one cousin. Nah, that nah, one. Nah, nah, nah. Continue, continue, my bad. <laughs> and yeah, I think um, it, it does. It, get, um, it looks like you know, and you, you talked about um, you know people feeling needed and, and wanted, and you being in front of the customers, which has been really great. And then you actually doing the ceremony for citizenship. It, that's amazing. Like it just shows that you know. Sometimes in life. Um, and I don't want to be that old uncle that says all these different stories, right? <laughs> um, but it's like whole circle. Like, it, did you see that? Like that connection between you wanting to help, like, and your family background, and then you finally being the one to able to enable people to get married, enable people to travel overseas, and then enable them um, to be an actual citizen for New Zealand. Did you see that? Or um, I guess because like my dream job is to work for the New Zealand Immigration. And I guess that comes yeah. from my family, you know, going through the struggles of dealing with the government, being too scared, um, you know, to ask questions. And it ended yeah. up, you know, just overstaying their visas because of that. Um, so that was, you know, that's where I'm heading. Um, but other than that, because of my family going through the struggles with the government, my my focus has always been on making information accessible to people you know the mm. information's there um everything's there you just have to go and ask for it but mm. people actually don't know where to start like you know once i got into the job i was like oh my gosh it's so simple like to get married you just can walk in and ask and we'll give you a form mm. but people don't know it's that easy because we are afraid of asking or mm. yeah and i have like one example and you know I love my father, but, you know, sometimes, it, like, <laughs> for some reason, I was the person that had, like, all the gadgets and stuff. And so for whatever my dad wanted, it was always, Fale! And then he'd be like, come fix the computer, when really all he had to do is just press the button to turn it on. You know, I wouldn't say, oh, just press the button and turn it on, but, I, you know, I'd just put it on and then I'd walk off, right? So um, I think that is a big enabler um, for not only the oldies, but then also us, like, for me, like the only time that I knew about the dawn raids was about a year ago when I watched that video. So, um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I guess like when I started working there, like it went around so fast. I had like Tongans that I haven't seen in like so long since I was a kid coming in. Like, oh, Fing told us that Fing's daughter oh, works nice. here, so you know now we can come in because we there's a Tongan here that we can come ask questions to. I'll just be like, oh, you know that that's rewarding, <laughs> rewarding, especially going to um. You know, Manukau, I don't know if you guys have been in Auckland, and um, yes. I was always going to Manukau and I was helping Tongans that could not speak English. You know, a simple yeah. thing as registering their babies, um, coming in, it's been like over two years and you'll get fined. 
for not registering your kid. Um, but yeah. you know, I'll have to call out these tongans and be like, hey, like you come to the office, you can talk to me. I'm only here for a week, but you know, um, don't be scared. It's easy. We won't have the cops standing next to me or whatever. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. It's like I, like we were saying before. It's awesome that your parents had the hindsight, um, and you know, also through church to keep that culture alive and keep the the language alive. Um, I know for you know most myself, um, and also Fale, you know, we're proud Tongans. But when it comes to speaking the language, it's another story. Um, even for work, you know, we have our name badges with our names. And underneath, I can't speak Tongan, but you're meant to have the flag underneath if you can speak a language. And I wanted that Tongan like, flag so badly. So I've got it there. But wait, good luck to the day that someone asked me. <laughs> All I know is where to send them to the Falimaki, so. <laughs> the hospital. So. <laughs> nah, I'm sweet. I'm just going to call Lossa. But it's real funny because um like although, you know, like I tell people, yes, I speak fluent Tongan, but then once uh, you know, a Tongan from Tonga comes, I'm like I speak some Tongan. <laughs> like <laughs> and I'm not that confident when um, other Tongans are there. But my parents always say like I'm a bit um fear bottle. Because, you know, like, if I can't do it, I'll try. Especially with Tongans, like, coming and talking, I'll be like, oh, you know, like, trying to explain stuff. And I don't even know what to say. And I'll be like, you know what I mean, eh? Can you go, you know? Just go over there. Yeah, just get the conversation going and try and make people comfortable. Or when they start um, making English words, Tongan. Yeah, uh, he went to the Malai um, Vakapuna in the Elo Plainly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever bring that plane here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we need to speak about this now. <laughs> All right. So yeah. Awesome. So um, coming to the you know, you've gone through your whole and we've we've learned about your whole story, your connection between giving information to people. Um, you know, you're so involved with the church. Now we've come to now, like you've. Let's speak more about, you know, how you help the youth in, in your church. Um, and, you know, what do you see as some things that are hindering them at the moment? Um, so what I do now with the youth, I try and, like, whatever opportunity I can see um, for people, you know, around the youth age, like, oh, you know, the community is this for free, whatever. Yeah. I just, you know, make sure that they get into it. <laughs> Even if it's just one person, I'll, you know, I'm always like, you know, we just need one person from the youth to do this. And then, you know, we'll be sweet and I'll stop spamming people with this. And then once one person, you know, joins, it's not really for the youth, you know, it's for them. But in their mindset, because they're so young, they don't see it. But, um, mm. yeah, that's what I do. Um, like, I'm so big on, um, like, I'm really against gatekeeping. <laughs> Like that's sort of oh, thing. It's yeah, like yeah. if I find out anything that can um, benefit someone else or everyone else, um, I'll make sure I, you know, project it out for everyone, and um, to have a shot at it because we all deserve it and it's there sitting there to be taken. So um, that's what I do a lot with our youth. Yeah. 
Nice. And is it the example that they see that they... Because it seems like you found some success um, with the youth doing that. Um, is it is it more like you, you, you like... You, you get them you get their foot through the door um and then they see your example or is there like more that you kind of push them or you have to push them a little bit more or is there some techniques that we can use like mm. with youth because i found in, in where i work um uh in sydney um it's very highly populated with polynesians um and they don't really know they're talking like for me I, I can't speak Tongan. they can't speak Tongan, and so they can't really identify with something so what they do is they identify with their group um mm. and then they start causing trouble um, and so we found that, you know, the only way that we can kind of stop them is to have a chat to them. But like, is there anything else like that you know, you've seen that's kind of helped the youth um, in, in Wellington? Um, yeah, like especially, you know, we have that same issue with my church youth is mm. that um, they just try and establish these little gangs. Yeah, yeah. They think yeah. it um, makes them more, I, I guess, invincible or look more manly, mm. especially with yeah, our yeah. boys. So um, what I do is I just try to get them involved in like different things. Like even if we, you know, we've got youth games and they're just sitting there with caps on or whatever, we're like, nah, you know, you mm. get in, you get in nice. because in the future this is what you have to do. And like especially at our, at our church, which is you know, um, not really popular, I guess, Siastonga. You know, I guess if you're a Siastonga in Tonga, then mm. you'll end up joining the same community here in New Zealand. Like it won't be appealing compared to like a rise. Or whatever yeah just yeah so um that's what we try and put on our kids like you know try to put that pressure on them that you will be doing this in the future and if you're not doing it who else is gonna do it like you now community will just end up dying if mm. um you don't see the importance of what we're doing so a lot of time is um story just telling stories like you know back when we were younger <laughs> like we were your age we're really doing this you know we're 14 15 up here i'm um, doing this stuff so you know you're not a baby anymore um putting on a caps and trying to think you're tough isn't gonna get you anywhere in the future so yeah just making him think of the future because you can only be a teenager for so long and i really don't want to see our youth being 40 wearing caps you know trying to <laughs> be tough at the center of oh, no. i'll take off my cap with no, i'm taking my cap off too sweet <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But you know what I mean. <laughs> no, definitely, pull, definitely. Pulling up gang signs like uh, Moss does sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what was that last one? I think that was too much. Like that. <laughs> all right. Can you look? Don't look at my story today and my gang sign today, all right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, awesome. I think we've come, you know, a full circle um, and we've, you know, really pulled out some good uh, learnings from the past when we talked about the Dawn Raids. Um, but also, I guess, some of our cultural traits in relation to respect and questioning things, um, but also, um, you know, moving forward, how do we do that respectfully and still be a prominent leader and ask good quality questions and know your stuff so that it's good to question and people will actually respect you for it um, and it's got you to the role, I guess, where you're in now um, and also helping the youth. What does the future hold, you know, bring all this together what are some of your goals? What are some of the things you're working towards? What are things you, you know, hope to see in the future? Yeah, um, I guess working at immigration, like actually um, getting on the ground and um, making a difference for our people. So, yeah. And my goal is always, you know, to not stay at a job or a role for up to two years. Like I try and move around. 
mm. and make the most of you know wherever I'm at, whatever organisation. I'm always trying to get a get my weave my way into different places. So yeah, so immigration is definitely where I'll be heading. But for the meantime, just doing all my Pacific um, cultural capability work at where I'm currently at. Alright, awesome. And if you could go back and speak to you know little Lossa that's just finished primary school and um you know about to embark on the journey of life what would be you know something that you'd say to that person something be proud be proud of your identity i guess yeah awesome um yeah our culture is so rich and there is so much strength in there but sometimes Mm. we either hide it away or sometimes we take it as a weakness but like you said the, the fact that we're able to, um, you know, talk to people, build good relationships, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of strength that other people can't do. Um, again, you know, talking about our jobs, we're able to, you know, just naturally just talk to people and de-escalate mm. situations because that's what we do at home. You know, that's the way mm. we talk to people. Um, but yeah, okay, that's awesome. Um, we might go to the mosque. Yeah, that yeah, lapisi fire. He's the, the game show host. So oh. at the end of everything, um, Lossa, we play a little game, and um, Moss is our game show host. Oh, <laughs> is it already time for rapid fire? <laughs> All right. You got that uh, time already, Fale? Did you say rabbit? Rabbit fire. Lapisi. We're sorry, Lossa. We're working on the name, all right? We're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Who lost in the grand final last week? Rabid fire. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I can't believe your cousins do that. <laughs> it's so different, you know? It's so different. I know. Oh, man. Maybe next time for the Eagles, eh? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Eagle right. fire. <laughs> Thanks for that, Lossa. That's all we have time for. All right. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Nah, nah, you... Office is a good word. No, you can you got that uh, time oh, already. We should always have or? you on Lossa. This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. Oh. All right, Lossa, hey. are, are you ready? Mm. Are you ready for I'm these? Ready. Are you ready for these hard hitting questions? Know. <laughs> no, whenever you open your mouth, I do not know what to expect. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, let's go, let's go. All right, so you got three minutes to answer these. Uh, first thing that pops into your head, just spill it all out and then uh yeah we'll go from there all right so when was the last hiding or the last time you got told off by your parents the last time last time today oh yep yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Wanna... yeah moss moss knows who my mom is eh? <laughs> oh and got, Viv, got and grilled Viv. in front of just got grilled in front of my fiance all good <laughs> Do you wanna? Are you allowed to disclose that information, or is that confidential? Oh, um, yeah, no, nah, it's just you know typical tongue and banter oh, yeah. about villages, and she was going, you know, back and forth with my dad. Um, I don't want to. They'll just put me out there for oh, more yeah. jokes. Those ones, eh? When you start off as a joke and then it gets serious by the end of it, eh? <laughs> yeah, so my mum started and I try to stick up for my dad and my fiance got broke. Oh, no. <laughs> lost. Don't you ever, don't you ever. All right, next question. What's your fave island dish? 
Uh, Faikakai. Faikakai. Oh, Stop it. Faikakai. Faikakai. All right. Now, I've seen you at your best work uh, at the next question, but what's the jam that makes you act like your crazy auntie at a Siva hula hula or a party? Um, currently, <laughs> real serious. Currently, it's this Indian remix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indian Fijian remix. Oh, yeah. So. I, oh, I, don't, I forgot what it's called, but that's the current jam oh, right now. Oh, come on. You can't tease us like yeah, that. Yeah. You've got to put it up there. You've got to put it up there so we can put it on yeah, Spotify. I'll send it to you guys. Yo, son. Oh, thank you. All right. Uh, next question. What's the first album you ever bought? Uh, first album. It was actually a tape. Yeah. My, my, my parents bought me Usher's... Um, tape when i was 10 years old oh that's oh. all and it had you know um let it burn and all those songs oh. in it so i was 10 years old heartbroken <laughs> at 10 <laughs> life goes on hey? <laughs> can you can you sing us after vacuuming the house and i'll just play it can you sing us one of your favorite songs off that tape <laughs> nah just joking <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Lossa, they they make a movie from this podcast about your life. Who's playing you? Oh, damn. Okay, say something. Um, say something out of it. Who's that? <laughs> say something out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's that guy's name again? Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lastly, tell us something that helps you kick back. Has been kicked back. And Netflix. Netflix? Yeah. Not, yeah. not fight cover like your brother, eh? All right, next question. Uh, <laughs> what's, something, <laughs> what's something that makes you stay ready? Last chance. Stay ready. Like, ready for... <laughs> you know, just to stay ready. Like stay pumped. Yeah, yeah. Anything that comes your way, you're ready to do it. <laughs> 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 Why is it so violent? Why is it so violent? Ready to hit you up? Violence is not the answer. <laughs> I guess just how hyping myself up. <laughs> Um, before anything to say me, I just hype myself up that I am better yeah. than whatever's to come. Yeah. You know what I think makes you stay ready? You, you give you a Tongan flag and a Tongan jersey. That <laughs> oh, my God. Don't go there. And go parading up and down Campbelltown to Mount Jewett. That makes you stay ready, though. Just have Siwa Tauke Aho in the front. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, boy. Oh, mate. Oh, quick story, quick story. So, what, Lossa, we were at... We're over four minutes, by the time. We were at Campbelltown, was it? It was like a few of us, we all went and watched... Um... Oh, man, what's the time? <laughs> <laughs> we went and watched Mate Matonga versus Samoa, right? Tonga got up. Anyways, I was taking my kids to the front and we're trying to scream out to the players that, oh, hey, hey, to say hi, sign something, get a photo. Then oh, out of yeah, nowhere, have you ever seen 10-pin bowling when a ball just knocks all the pins <laughs> over? That was Lossa coming down the, coming down all the seats. Siwa! <laughs> Siwa! And she's yelling at Siwa Taukeaho. But he yeah. didn't even come. <laughs> Like you said, you pumped yourself up. Yeah. You tried. Know? Yeah. Alright, last one. Tell us something that helps you look sharp. 
look sharp? <laughs> like, as in, like, physically, or...? No, nah, like, remember that Gucci bag you used to wear around? Oh! Nah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was going to be like, are you talking about, like, the hair gel I always use? <laughs> I don't know, I actually can't can't leave the house without wearing earrings. Yo, that's nice. one thing. Yeah. Yo. And your kia kia as well? Or? Kia, nah, just your earrings. <laughs> nah. Just. <laughs> just... Man, you, you're supposed to be the game show host. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we, we talked about this before the okay, podcast. Okay, you know? I, I, know, I know, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, sometimes I just like have my man bun and then like my um, glasses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sweet thing. Nah, well done. Well done, Lossa. Yes. So, Lossa, again, thank you for, for joining yeah, us. Thank you guys. for sharing your knowledge. It's been crazy good. Yeah. Um, again, please let us know all those links um, mm. for what we've spoken about today because it is definitely important and it is good yeah. to show the message out there. Um, this is just the outro, so we'll talk about this after. Um, but yeah, so thank you again. Thanks, Lossa. Coming.